This is Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, where a spirit board conversation sparked our spiritual evolution. I'm Shale. And I'm Cheyenne. And each week, we explore a world where there is much more than meets the eye. So pour yourself a drink and join us as we cheers to a witch in good time. Hey, girl. What up? What you drinking tonight? Tonight, because we're talking about something spooky. Hell yeah, we are. I made myself my go-to comfort drink, (laughs) which is a London Fog. So I have organic Earl Grey tea and Colorado honey. And then it's about three quarters of a cup of hot water. And then you top it off with cream. And so I did a little bit of half and half and then I put whipped cream on top of it too. Cause technically a London fog is supposed to have vanilla in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used honey as my sweetener instead of syrup. So I did a little bit of whipped cream to give me that vanilla vibe and it's so cozy and yummy. I'm very happy with this decision. You always like set the bar so high. I feel like we should always just be like, what's Shale drinking with her basic ass side of things? And then be like, what's Shale drinking? <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? So I'm drinking my wannabe classy girl drink. Wine? It is wine. And specifically sweet red wine that's meant for dessert. <laughs> yes. Um, no shade to dessert wines here. No. Dessert wines are delicious. And I feel like that's always the way this goes, too, is you have your super classy, fantastic drink. I have my super basic one. And then we spend the rest of the few minutes getting aggressive about anybody who wants to be a snob about our drinks. Yeah. Don't be rude. All right. What, we, what, what deck we got? Um, you know, we're just I feel like Literary Witch is just our season one deck. You know, I'm, I'm feeling that. I, uh. I've been getting back into tarot personally on my own, but I feel like I need to do a little bit more solo before I start pushing my tarot agenda on all of you. You can push your tarot agenda on me anytime. (laughs) That said, if anybody wants me to read for fun (laughs) and giggles, reach out. Um, But... I figured we were talking about a powerful woman tonight, so we might as well start set the stage with mm. with that theme. Good call. You know? Good call. All right, so we are drawing our familiar and our witch. Okay, we have drawn Eileen Chang today, who represents fate, and the material I drew with her is the knife. Ooh, perfect. I know. I'm like, this one feels. Feels like it's got some stuff. Okay, so Eileen Chang represents fate, outside forces, events falling into place, and acceptance. Eileen Chang, 1920 to 1995, was born to an opium-addicted traditional Chinese father and a westernized mother who learned how to ski on bound feet. Ouch. Sorry. You say ouch or was that part of the card? No, I said ouch. Wow, I feel the same way. (laughs) Like, that was my commentary. (laughs) Ski boots are hard enough without having to have your feet bound on top of that. 
Um, so when 17-year-old Chang contracted dysentery, her father dismissed her claims of ill health and locked her up in her bedroom for six months. She escaped with the help of her nurse. Holy cow. Witty and stylish, Chang was famous in Shanghai for her fiction about troubled romance and family betrayal. Though she died as a recluse in Los Angeles, her work remains popular and beloved in China. Ooh, I got chills reading about her. I'm definitely going to have to do some more research. I haven't read any of her work. This is the first time I've actually drawn Eileen, and I'm very excited to dive in and learn a little bit more about her. Um, The knife alongside her represents intention, conflict, and resolution. So um, I'm actually, I'm very tickled by this idea of of family betrayal and, and fate as it coincides with our conversation today, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the different ways that that could be um, kind of weaved in and interpreted, which we can maybe circle back to <laughs> at the end once we've actually talked about our topic today. But this is a really beautiful card. She's in this very powerful pose wearing this beautiful kind of it's kind of a kimono style fitted dress she's got a very proud high neck Um, there's a window with the moon shining through it and there are severed arms holding a locket and a pipe with the ghost um, kind of shadow of a man in a fedora coming out of her hands so it's a very striking card and she has a very striking presence so I think I'm actually going to just turn this one over to you and ask you what we're talking about today and I think these puzzle pieces will start to fall into place themselves yeah so we are actually going to get a little campfire cozy tonight and we're gonna share a ghost story with you so we're switching it up a little bit instead of it just being kind of Cheyenne and I talking or an interview and we want to sprinkle these in on the podcast more often where we just pick a story or a topic or something like that and just really kind of deep dive into it for the entirety of the episode. And so this is one of my absolute favorite stories. Ever since I learned about this story, I've been obsessed with it. It just feels like the perfect launching point for the Ouija boards and Midnight Margs podcast. And so we are talking about the Bell Witch. Ding dong. Who is that? (laughs) 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 So the Bell Witch is actually one of the most famous ghost stories. It's a true story of a poltergeist that attacked and tortured (laughs) a family uh, in Tennessee for several years. Um, And it's actually the only death in American history to be recorded as being caused by a paranormal entity. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll just go ahead and dive right into the story. So the Bell Witch haunting, as it pertains to the family, which is obviously the Bell family, happened between the years of 1817 and 1821. So this was about 200 some years ago. So starting off early on in the story, uh, so John Bell, he was the patriarch of the family, and he originally lived in North Carolina. And early on in the early 1800s, he ended up uprooting his family and moving to Robertson County, Tennessee, which is what we know as present day Adams, Tennessee. 
He was married to a woman named Lucy Bell, and they had three children. And kind of a disturbing fact is at the time, uh, John Bell was 32, and his wife yeah. was 12 when they got married. So it's tough times. Um, the, the only thing that made me feel slightly less icky about that fact is that they didn't actually have their first child until she was 20. Oh, well, that's good. So... The teeniest, teeniest, tiny bit of props. <laughs> yeah. Still you. <laughs> Still horrifying. Yeah. But. Sorry, I had to take a little wine sip there. So when they moved to Robertson County, Tennessee, John actually became the elder of the Red River Baptist Church. And so when they got here, John ended up, you know, purchasing land, establishing a homestead, started a farm and sounds like life was pretty peachy keen for the family. They were pretty successful, had a good time growing food, taking care of the animals, all of that. But it would be around the year 1817 that things would start to take a shift. Um, and so what happened was in town, there was a family that lived close by. I think they were actually neighbors to the Bell family. Um, and their family was known as the Bats family. And unfortunately, the patriarch of the family, Frederick Batts, actually suffered a really terrible injury while he was on the farm. Um, I'm not sure exactly specifically what happened to him, but he ended up suffering a disability as a result of the accident that rendered him unable to continue to work on the farm, unable to continue to provide for the family. And of course, this is the early 1800s. So back then, the the patriarch of the family and that structure was very, very important. And Unfortunately, women didn't have a lot of rights at that time. And um, so something like this happening to the family was actually very detrimental. And so what they ended up doing was because they couldn't really run the farm anymore. And um, I don't think they had a whole lot of kids to help support the the farm ended up being sold off in chunks to neighboring neighboring farms, including the Bell family. And uh, so what happened is John Bell being the businessman that he was, ended up going over to talk to Frederick Batts and asked him for some of the property that he was trying to sell. And he was very much aware of the fact that Frederick was in a certain condition and was desperate and and really needed the money to help support the family. And so um, sounds like John Bell got the property for pretty cheap. And this pissed off his wife, Kate Batts, rightfully so, in my opinion, because it does when you look at the you know, look at the situation. It does look like John definitely took advantage of the situation and took advantage of the Bats family. And so Kate Bats, who was known as a take no shit kind of lady, actually said, you know, I, I swear that I'll make the Bell family pay for taking advantage of us, taking advantage of our situation um, and, and we'll make him pay for this bad business dealing. And so in the community, it, word got around that John Bell was kind of a shady dude and uh, people weren't very happy with the way they treated the Bats family. But also it sounds like people really didn't care a whole lot for Kate herself. So because of the fact that Frederick was no longer able to be the, the head of the household per se, uh, Kate obviously took over a lot of the finances, took over a lot of the business aspect of the farm, all of that. And she was also, like I said, she didn't take any crap from anybody. And she was an independent, strong woman who spoke her mind and wasn't afraid to tell you to F.O. If, you, if she needed to. She's a witch. Yeah, so naturally, the community found her as a witch. 
So that's what happened when you were a woman who spoke out and stood up for yourself back then. You were obviously doing witchcraft and demon sorcery. So that's that's the deal there. Um, it's also worth noting that Kate was actually related to Lucy. Oh, I did not know that. John's wife. Yeah, they, um, Lucy, uh, I might get this opposite. One of them was the other one's niece. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, but she definitely kind of always had that vibe around town as being that that batty old, you know, talks too much, too opinionated um, kind of lady. So it's a it's an interesting stage to mm-hmm. set because there are a lot of people who could have been involved. Absolutely, in and we'll we'll definitely do all of the <laughs> the musings of what might have happened with this story. So essentially to set the stage here, Kate Batts curses essentially John Bell and his family. And she basically acts like the grandmother that I want to be one day and is terrorizing the town, which fun times. Um, <laughs> and so around uh, the year 1817, this is when the first strange occurrences start happening out at the Bell farm. And this actually, this part of the story actually just absolutely gives me chills and freaks me out but uh john bell was out checking on his cornfield sounds like he was doing a little bit of hunting checking on his crops and as he was out there he stumbles upon this really strange creature and why i say it's strange is because it actually was said to have had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit which that is my freaking nightmare it's so funny because when i was reading all of these iterations and like thinking about this animal the animal combination I'm actually not unhappy with like dogs are cute bunnies are cute it was probably cute right I was actually kind of thinking about that too where I'm like apart those two animals are very and and, you know like easter bunny-ish but you put them together and it's a freaking nightmares (laughs) so he right she said it several times obviously misses then the animal just disappears off into the night, never to be seen again. But what's weird is that the same evening, the family begins to experience what they described as sounding like somebody beating on the walls outside of the home as they're eating dinner and as they're winding down to go to bed. This banging on the walls is happening. And they also said it sounded like somebody was picking up handfuls of rocks and chucking them at the walls of the home. And so um, John Bell and his son would run out and see what it was and, and, you know, tell whoever was banging on their house to leave them alone. And they would go out there and there's nothing. Um, And it would happen several times throughout the night. And then this progressively just kind of starts getting worse and worse for the Bell family. So shortly after this experience where they were hearing things banging on the walls and and I guess the more innocent sounding noises, it, it just starts to get more and more terrifying and more scary for, for the family. And so pretty quickly, the kids actually start complaining of hearing scratching and, and gnawing. And they think it sounds like rats chewing on their bedpost, but they'd go to examine that and there would be nothing there. 
But what's even more horrifying is that in the middle of the night, the, the kids started claiming that their blankets were actually being ripped off of them in the middle of the night and their pillows being thrown on the floor. Ugh. But there was nobody in the room with them and nothing to be seen that could be causing that physically. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Blankets and- are supposed to protect you from ghosts. Absolutely. Like, what the hell, Bell Witch? You're, like, not following protocol here. <laughs> if we are under our blankets, you are not supposed to touch us. That is an unwritten but, like, steadfast rule. Also, what I think is what makes this story so horrifying is the fact that because it happened so long ago, I feel like when we hear kind of more more famous ghost stories in, in our history, they're usually more modern times. Like, a lot of them are in the 80s, early 90s, maybe. When things like technology and electricity existed so like if this shit started happening you could turn on the light they couldn't do that they had to freaking light like a candle (laughs) i was thinking about that with them like with the men running outside Mm -hmm. like what are you taking out there with you you're just going out in the dark with a gun like what's happening (laughs) yeah like you run out there with your pithy little candle (laughs) (laughs) right i would just if i was the witch back then i would have just been like terrorizing them but every time they ran out of the house i just blow out their candle right it would be so easy (laughs) she can throw rocks she can blow out a candle oh absolutely (laughs) so time moves on this entity is becoming more prolific but it also starts to get actually a lot more violent so at this time it wasn't actually touching or interacting with any of the members of the family but pretty quick they actually start hearing voices and whispers throughout the home and They even describe it sometimes as the sound of a feeble old woman humming, which that just makes me get shivers all throughout my body. Thinking of hearing that as a disembodied sound. (laughs) And so this is the entity, obviously, that would later become known as the Bell Witch. And so the family member that actually suffered the most of these violent outbursts of this energy was the youngest daughter named Betsy Bell. So she actually received scratches, had her hair violently pulled, and would just be viciously slapped. So much so that this this force that was unable to be seen would leave handprints and marks and welts all over her face and all over her body. But again, there was nothing there that could actually be physically seen that's causing this. And all of this is documented. And so what makes this really interesting is that this wasn't something that was just documented by the family because of the times, you know, gossip spreads in small towns and especially when nobody's, uh, nobody's got anything else to do other than farm and, you know, hang out. So (laughs) it got to the point where John could no longer keep this a secret within the household itself. And so he actually confided in his neighbor, James Johnson, who he Sounds like he was an extremely skeptical person, but he was like, you know, I'll hear you out, John, and and came and stayed the night at their home and actually experienced all of the paranormal activity that they described while he had stayed in the home. And furthermore, word actually spread so far that even um, Andrew Jackson, who we know is one of the presidents of the United States, uh, made a visit to the Bell Farm. And when he arrived on the farm, his wagon actually got stuck in the mud and the horses just flat out refused because horses know what's up. <laughs> they flat out refused to just even move forward another step. And so they they tried everything they could to coax the horses to move forward. They tried everything they could to move the wagon out of the mud. It, the wheels just wouldn't turn. And so 
Andrew Jackson said, supposedly, by eternal boys, it must be the Bell Witch. Because <laughs> I think that's what Andrew Jackson sounded like. <laughs> I'll take it. And supposedly, the Bell Witch announced herself and said, yeah, bitch, it is me. And Enter if you dare. Yeah, and so she allowed them to pass. And um, there's there's several stories that are kind of conflicting as to whether Andrew Jackson actually had experiences beyond that um i guess what's most common throughout the stories is that jackson just spent the whole night telling war stories like <laughs> a typical dude <laughs> but there's kind of conflicting evidence as to whether or not he experienced anything of the there's witch herself conflicting evidence of him actually ever being there that is very true also he was a devout diarist he wrote everything down daily and that none of his personal diaries have any account of them being there. Um, I think it's important to remember that most of the information we have about the Bell Witch is coming specifically from William Bell's manuscript that supposedly existed, which is what inspired Ingram's book, which we can talk about in a little bit, which is where we get most of our lore of the Bell Witch. So... Uh, the reason Andrew Jackson is part of this lore is because both of the Bell Boys had actually fought with him um, in New Orleans in the army, where they also possibly learned ventriloquism. So let that tickle your noodle while we keep telling this tale. Wait, okay, I feel, hold on. <laughs> I feel like we need to dive into that because how do you get war and ventriloquism in the same thing? You do it in New Orleans, baby. That's very true. As somebody who has lived in New Orleans, you eventually stop questioning weird things. <laughs> I also think it's important to remember, I was thinking about this earlier, pre-technology and like I'm like pre even like electricity technology, you know, you had a lot of time in the day. You can get a lot done when you're not distracted by Instagram. Because yes. I was, I was, I kind of had that vibe too, where I was like, really? Like ventriloquism is hard, but like, what else are you going to do when you're just sitting around in the barracks waiting for stuff to happen? <laughs> I mean, fair. So why not just impersonate the creepiest little dolls that exist on the planet and figure <laughs> yeah. out, and figure out how that's to do it without your mouth moving? <laughs> yeah, that scares the crap out of me. Side note, um, ventriloquism yeah. obviously Sorry. started in war. <laughs> Or as a side job of war. <laughs> you could just throw your voice and scare your enemies. <laughs> yeah. How much nicer? Not a bad tactic, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, and think about how much nicer war would be if that's the way we went about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like open mic night. Yeah, you would require and then, a lot And then the winner is judged by the claps of the audience. Exactly. And you'd require a lot more creativity. A lot more compassion. It would be great. Vote for Sheila uh, and we'll change the world. A, this is why we need a female president, friends. <laughs> Our first order of business, change the articles of war to include ventriloquism at all times. Yes. <laughs> but speaking of presidents, Andrew Jackson. So they, um, they allegedly were supposed to stay for a week at the Bell Farm and they only lasted a night. Oh, interesting. Um, because one of the, the other story I had read was that one of his, the bell, Witch had physically like booted one of his ranking members 
because he came he had a silver bullet right there's this tale of this guy with a gun with his his witch killing silver bullet and he was being braggadocious and probably drunk and a dude in wartime hanging out you know uh sure the testosterone's bubbling <laughs> and she wasn't having it she was like you know what screw you your silver bullet's not gonna do shit to me and she physically kicked him out of the house and then allegedly told Andrew Jackson that she was going to reveal another traitor later. Another traitor or traitor? Traitor with a T. So they never stuck around to figure that out. Like another skeptic, I think is what she meant. I gotcha. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Like I'm skeptical, but I'm not wave around a silver bullet. (laughs) nobody can fuck with me skeptical <laughs> right well and and to be fair uh i don't think that and his crew ever experienced a ouija board early on in their lives like we have to remind us of what other energies exist out there that's true none of them did their research exactly such <laughs> amateurs <laughs> This is why you have all of these good haunting stories from like these old times too that do get twisted and built and and a, like woven into our you know culture as a whole because none of you did your research you extra pissed off all the spirits so they extra fucked with you and you've got extra stories extra <laughs> <laughs> oh okay sorry not to okay. So back to the Bell Witch story. So what ends up happening is that John ends up getting extremely sick. So what he starts experiencing is like twitching in his face, difficulty swallowing for almost a year. So a lot of symptoms that really kind of coincide with what we would think of today as a stroke. And so by by the time 1820 comes around, his health is just getting so bad that he, he can't leave the home. The the entity's just now screwing with him constantly. She removes his shoes when he tries to walk. She slaps him in the face just as soon as he's recovered from a seizure. Um, she allowed her voice to be very shrill and, and was echoing all over the farm. She'd curse and chastise him, calling him old Jack Bell. <laughs> so she was just like wreaking havoc on, on John Bell as he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so I think that's why people really think that this could have been something brought on by Kate Batts because of the fact that she had said, I will make John Bell pay. So it's, it's just a very interesting kind of dynamic there. And so on December 20th, 1820, John Bell actually breathed his last breath and passed away. Um, and so he had slipped into a coma the day before. And what's interesting is that immediately after he had passed away, there was a really strange vial of liquid that the family found on the bedside table next to his bed. And they had never seen it before. No one in the family claimed it. No one knew where it came from. And so John Bell Jr. took the vial and actually sprinkled two drops of it on their family cat's tongue. and the cat literally just died. First of all, rude, poor cat. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, why are you just going to sacrifice it like that? And then supposedly the family claims that they heard a voice say, 
I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him, which is, of course, why people think that it was the entity itself that killed John Bell. And so what's interesting, too, is that John Jr. took that vial of liquid, threw it in the chimney or in the fireplace, excuse me. And as soon as it went into the fireplace, it burst into this bright blue flame and shot up the chimney. So, which is a scientific scientific reaction akin to arsenic. That's how arsenic reacts when you throw it into fire. So the poisoning theory definitely holds up. And what was interesting too is I've read in several stories that um, the same liquid that was on the bedside table they like smelled on his breath, and and arsenic supposedly has a smell associated or like an odor associated with it that they could smell on him. Ooh, speaking of an odor, um, this is a story that I was reading about the Bell Witch, about one of her just specific haunting moments that I thought was really interesting, um, which was, I'm not sure if it was that same family friend who they asked to come over, um, but it was after more people had known about it, right? So once they started telling people, then it became like people wanted to come experience the spirit for themselves in the town, you know, so they had visitors come and stay. And there was one particular one um, where he claimed the witch said she wanted to, um, she wanted to get into bed with him. And then slowly the covers allegedly next to him kind of molded themselves into the shape of a person, (laughs) into a body. And so he said to, and there are like lithograph prints of this kind of scene that you can find on Google. Um, But he scooped up the blankets thinking, you know, in his human wisdom, he was like, cool, I captured her. I got it. He was going to throw it into the fire. And as he's walking over to the fireplace, the blankets started emitting just the most foul odor. (laughs) And he dropped them. And she was like, don't fucking play me. I just wanted to cuddle. That was one of my favorite ones. (laughs) Because I can just imagine, like, how creepy is that scene if you close your eyes and imagine your blanket next to you just, like, morphing itself into the shape of a human body? Okay, so it goes from, like, horror movie to scary movie, like, the spoof, because it literally is, like, a terrifying scene. And then it sounds like she literally Dutch ovened him as... Yeah, she's like, (laughs) fuck you. Oh my gosh. I, you know, that's what makes this story so interesting though, because yes, it's so scary, but at the same time, like she sounds like just the I kind of have mad respect for the Bell Witch. You have what? I said I kind of have mad respect for the Bell Witch because she wasn't too. She wasn't all bad either. There are lots of accounts of like so Lucy, John's wife, everybody in town loved Lucy, right? We all love Lucy. We've always loved Lucy. Obviously. Um, (laughs) but like, but the witch loved her too. And when she, you know, she was ill for a time and it was said that the witch was singing her hymns and reciting Bible verses. And like, there's even an account of her bringing her grapes, like to her bedside. And so it's just really interesting. The dynamic of like, she hated John for sure, but Lucy was beloved by so many people that even this entity got that vibe and didn't ever do anything to harm her. Well, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've heard stories too, where it might've been Betsy or one of the daughters wanted to marry a boy in town, but yeah. So that's where my skepticism comes in because I think the bell, Witch had some help from some humans. Mm. Okay. So explain. So Betsy was betrothed to her childhood sweetheart. I think his name was Joseph or it was, yeah, 
or it was Jonathan. They were all freaking named John. Um, <laughs> like, not, not a lot of creativity. It's a lot of bi- biblical names, but um, I'm pretty sure it was Joseph actually. So she's betrothed to this boy who's she's been in love with for years. But around the time the haunting started happening, they also got a new school teacher who is said to have been an occultist. And he had a double life. Nobody, none of his friends in the, um, in the town where they were knew that he actually had a wife who was 20 years older than him, a couple ways over. So he was kind of already sleazy. In addition to being a teacher coveting uh, 12-year-old Betsy is when he first initially, what is her part, you know, met- old part, like, I don't know why they're all 12. It makes me so mad. Because you look at any 12-year-old and you're like, that is a child. Yeah, 100%. Freaking creepy. So this creepy teacher starts like, he's he becomes a really good friend of the family at that time too, right? So she's going to school. He's starting to kind of have romantic feelings for her, befriends the family. And she's engaged so she's you know engaged to this other guy after you know she's 16 when she breaks off this engagement essentially and she breaks off this engagement after a year of the bell witch telling her to and beating her and tormenting her and and all of this you know all of this trauma that's happening she calls off her engagement and she married the school teacher interesting when she was 16 and he um And that was the only man she ever married. She was widowed, um, you know, 20 odd years after, after that. And she never remarried, but he, uh, he's got some creepy, creepy pedo kind of vibes that lead me to think that he could have, he could have been an instigator, Mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily in all of the happenings, but I think a lot of people took advantage of the haunting, however you want to believe it. You know, I think there's a lot of unexplainable things that that do kind of give you that sense of the paranormal Um, but you have to remember we're dealing with human beings too so and you have to remember John John Bell himself is sleazy as hell he was excommunicated from the church for really shady business dealings involving slaves he was kind of known for being that like double crossing sideways quick buck making guy so you know there's some, you know, theory, there's some strength to the theory, I think, that it was a hoax perpetrated by the family, or they maybe had some experiences and decided they could capitalize on them. So, and and that could be true of, of Robert, you know, the school teacher of everyone else in town, too, of realizing like, oh, okay, how can we make this work for us, too? Um, because after John died, and after Betsy broke off her engagement, the bell witch kind of went away mm-hmm. like her her duty was done so it's it's just an interesting it's fascinating to think about especially because you know again this happened in the 1800s our accounts are either oral being retold and we already know how finicky human eyewitnesses can be hours after an event so you know william one of the brothers william bell sitting down to write this manuscript that would later become um, the book that we all, uh, that all the Bellwitch historians get all of this information from, which is Ingram's book. Um, he wrote 
all of those accounts 20 years after the fact. And yeah, and it's just interesting because we we're essentially relying on the narration of two men who both had something to gain financially from this story being told. Mm-hmm. It is it is an interesting conversation too because it seems like and I don't know if it's it's just skepticism um but it's also really interesting when you think of all of the famous hauntings that are known in pop culture or just handed down, you know, like the Amityville horror or the the um the exorcist story, all of that, right? It's always interesting because there's always a part of the community that wants to believe that people made these stories up for the purpose of making money. And sure, that that is absolutely a possibility. But what if it's not at the same time? And it's just kind of an interesting thing to ponder is it's really we as humans want answers. Right. And so it's just it's just kind of fascinating to think of of what that might be like if, if the stories we aren't hearing or we are hearing are true. And that I think people yeah. are scared to admit that that could be a possibility because that means it goes surreal, right? Yeah. Well, and to that point too, there's also no reason why both of those things can't be true. Absolutely. So I, I think it is important, like spiritually and just in general, you know, things are usually not always black and mm-hmm. white. And this has grabbed our collective consciousness in such a way that, you know, for stories to endure this long over time, there has to be something there. There's there's a something there. Absolutely. That makes us keep coming back. So speaking of that, you know, that collective consciousness, uh, the Bell Witch has fascinated us. She is America's most famous ghost story, which is just fun. So there's so much out there that you can consume because I'm sure like Shale and I, you are not going to be satisfied with just this episode. It's going to scratch that itch in your brain that makes you want to understand. And I think that's what I find so frustrating about ghost stories. Uh, because I want to know. I want to know the ending. Mm-hmm. Like, I just would, I would just like to know. Um, <laughs> so uh, suspending my my desire to have all of the puzzle pieces fit perfectly is always troubling for me. But um, if you're like that and you want to go consume more information and, and read more stories, there are lots of places to do that. So uh, the book that I've talked about a few times that we were talking about earlier is An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch by M. V. Ingram. So that was written, oh gosh, was it 100 years after... William Bell's manuscript is what Ingram claims to have used. Um, There's actually no recorded record of William's manuscript. So we're definitely all taking Ingram at his word here. But that is the text that all of the Bell Witch historians, all of these Southern supernatural historians agree. That's where they draw the bulk of their, their factual information, that and public record. That's kind of all we have, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if you want to dive in, a little bit deeper. There are many books, both, you know, historical fiction and kind of, you know, pseudo, pseudo fiction, nonfiction combos of tales of the bell, Witch. so that includes an American haunting, which that was also made. Is so movie. good. That, yeah, like, so that's the movie that, that I learned about the bell, Witch from just happened to be flipping through the channels and it was on and I was like, Ooh, this looks spooky. So naturally I watched it, but it is a very well done movie. Yeah, so that would be 
probably top suggestion. It's also a book. There's also the infamous Bell Witch of Tennessee by Charles Edwin Price. The Bell Witch Anthology. Um, Bell Witch Stories You've Never Heard from the Family That Live Next Door by Dr. Jim Brooks. So there are all sorts of, you know, and this just goes on and on and on. There are so many books about the Bell Witch and so many movies. So that one in American Haunting, um, The Bell Witch Haunting was a 2013 reimagining. Um, and then also The Mark of the Bell Witch. Neither one of those was great. Yeah, no, I would recommend. not worth it. <laughs> I would recommend An American Haunting if you're going to do a movie. And then TV show, there's actually an A&E. It's the same kind of vibe. It's draws from real fact and real people and there are real interviews but there are some fictionalized elements um to this series and it's called cursed the bell witch and it's essentially about a descendant of the bells 200 years later trying to break this curse that is on the family right so it's on a and e it's a five episode original series you can go watch that kind of titillate your all your little bell witch inklings <laughs> but they you know they go into the bell witch cave they talk to a psychic who actually came out with the newest the newest thread <laughs> in the bell witch tapestry is actually um so in this series and this spoiler alert y'all um in this cursed a and a a and e series they speak to a clairvoyant psychic who um and she has a book about this as well but she claims to have spoken to Betsy mm-hmm. and um, and they like go into the cave. They go into the, you know, onto the family farm and, and do all of this. So you can watch this and come to your own conclusions. But Betsy was allegedly, according to this psychic, actually molested by a family member. And that is where all of these welts and marks and bruises were coming from. Um, And it's actually said that the family slave is who poisoned John Bell and that they were living on cursed land, native land. And it wasn't actually the family themselves that was cursed, but the place they were on. So there's lots of different takes. um, Well, and and that piece of Betsy being assaulted that way, they actually they kind of allude to that in an American haunting, too. Yeah. So that's kind of a piece of the puzzle that's. Um, definitely less it's less fun (laughs) to talk about in the campfire you know sitting around telling spooky stories vibe but it definitely could have been a factor there as well so yeah that's kind of what I got for you as far as where you can go scratch this itch there are tons of podcasts about the bell witch as well if you want to just keep hearing the same facts over and over Um, (laughs) which I know I do I did it when we were you know talking about doing this episode last week that's what I started you know diving into and was just listening to everything I could get my hands on um so go forth and find it but you can go visit this property still right Shale so what's the like modern vibe at the Bell Farm like yes so this is what I think is super fascinating so you've actually you've touched on it a little bit but there is something known as the Bell Cave and so What's super interesting about this is, like we said earlier, it seemed like the hauntings associated with the Bell Witch really ended after um, Betsy's engagement was disrupted. And then after John Bell obviously passed away because essentially mission complete at that point, I guess, for for the Bell Witch. 
And so it's, it's been, you know, the property has been sold and, and passed on and it's actually, I think it's privately owned now, but what is actually accessible to the public is the Bell Cave. And so this is a cave that's kind of adjacent to the property. It's not actually on the Bell Witch or the, the Bell's family's plot necessarily. But what's interesting is that there's the belief that this cave holds kind of the, the energy of the witch or something similar to her. And it's said that people will hear the voices that that was prominent in the Bell Witch haunting. And that also there's a lot of stories that people will come to visit the Bell Cave. And it's, you know, it's pretty profoundly spoken about that you don't take anything from the cave, just like you don't go to any other haunted site, period. I feel like this should be just an unwritten rule at this point. Like, come on, people, get it in your head. Don't take shit from haunted people. Right? If it does not belong to you, it is not yours. Yeah, whether they're dead or not, bro. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> Common decency. But anyway, supposedly when when you take something from the Bell Cave and there's documented stories of this where tourists have come and done that, where they'll take like a pebble or they'll take a, a stick even, where horrible, horrible things will happen to them. And so a story that I've heard is that there was a tourist that that visited the Bell Witch Cave and, and took a stone from the cave, ignored all of the warnings and actually got in a horrible car accident that ended up killing his his partner in the car accident. And so he he wrote a note back to the, the people who run the Bell Cave asking them to return the stone that he mailed back to the site because, um, I mean, he, he ended up having a horrible car accident. It sounds like he lost his job. Um, lost his home shortly after that, just this series of really horrible things that happened in his life and just this really series, really a series of bad luck that he he had attributes to the Bell Cave causing that and the energy associated with it. Um, but it's interesting because from my understanding, uh, I don't think you can actually visit the the old homestead that the, the Bell family used to to run, but you can visit this cave. So take that with what you will to me. As uh, somebody who who is slightly skeptical, but also very much believes in the paranormal and the spiritual side of things, that seems kind of gimmicky to me that just because there's this weird, creepy cave that happens to be close to the property, that there must be some malicious energy in it. And because we can't sell tickets to, <laughs> to the homestead <laughs> itself, that we must be able to use the cave. Um, that being said, I have I mean, there's some interesting documentaries about it. And of course, like a lot of paranormal TV shows, which are a guilty pleasure for me. I will absolutely admit it. Love them. <laughs> Regardless of the fact that I know that they're cheesy as hell, that they're set up, I do love them. Um, but there are some series on on the Bell Witch Cave too. That story about the guy in the car accident, I just, uh, excuse me, another note of caution because that what that immediately reminded me of is the Annabelle doll. I was thinking about that too, yep. Because there are plenty of stories from their museum of people, you know, mocking her or tapping on her glass or, you know, just generally being disrespectful. Right. And taking photos. Yucky. And then getting in there, you know, yeah, multiple people would get in their car and then you see her sitting in your back seat and get in a terrible accident. Uh -huh. One man literally got in a motorcycle accident after he left, like immediately after he left the museum and died. Mm -hmm. Like, don't mess with this stuff, y'all. <laughs> yeah whether you're skeptical or not like respect matters mm -hmm. whether you are dealing with living or dead entities 
Well, and just kind of going along with that too, regardless of whether you believe in ghosts or not specifically, energy is a real thing, right? We we all have experienced yes. energy in whatever form that may be. And so maybe you don't believe in like the Casper version of a ghost, but there is there is a balance in the universe that runs on how we interact with one another. Everything's interlinked. All energy experiences one another. And so if there is something like this that has these like parameters around it, why would you not kind of adhere to that or, or understand that or try to at least? And, and there's a lot of this world that we don't yet understand and don't understand how it's all interconnected, but it doesn't mean that it's not right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's where I like to sit. I think I sit in a pretty healthy pool of both, believing in her and believing that she was taken advantage of by the living human beings mm-hmm. around her. And I, th- I think both of those things can be true. And that's kind of how I like to view this story. I think there are definitely enough, enough things that, that lead me to believe that something was in that house that was also deeply unhappy. Yeah. And it, it brings up kind of an interesting conversation of I guess the way in which we impact the energy around us too, in that I, I can't think of the story that comes to the top of my mind right now, but I have heard similar threads of, of similar types of stories where hauntings of a home end up being associated with a child who is being abused or being neglected or, or having something like that happening in the home. And it's almost like the, the entity is a manifestation of that pain and that energy and so it would just be a very interesting, I think, thing to discover to or, or to look into more deeply of do we have the ability as beings to to have that kind of impact where energy almost becomes an extension of ourselves in that way? That's fascinating. Super. It's like one of those like, I, I feel like I need to crack open another bottle of wine. <laughs> right? Like that is a mind melter. That's like a, yeah, you're you need to buckle down and we're going <laughs> to talk for the next five mm-hmm. hours. But I mean, if you think about things like, like lucid dreaming and, and the way that we have the ability to kind of impact that even, you know, who's to say we don't have impacts on energy in a deeper way. We don't know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we have the ability to create nuclear bombs, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, <laughs> think we don't know is a good it's just a good reminder mm-hmm. we're always learning stuff we do not know everything we couldn't possibly know everything and we weren't alive in 1817 we didn't live in that town we weren't the neighbors so all we have are these you know little snippets of you know second and third party accounts uh to try to piece together something that was happening you know in the heart of our country in 1817 and i think that's really interesting too we're still talking right. about her and you're never truly dead if people are this still is true and that's an interesting thing i was just thinking about as you said that too is the fact that ghost stories are so prolific in humanity it's not just it's not just an american thing it's not just a european thing it's 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 something that is in culture, no matter where you go in the world, they, anybody talks about spiritual energy in that way. And so, and, and it's interesting too, that it, it can extend as far back as some of the earliest stories of 
early humanity believing in these types of things to tomorrow. Someone could tell you a ghost story or something they experienced just the other day. And so it's just really interesting that that is something that is so prevalent in our human experience that can everybody that's experienced a ghost story be a liar? Right. Yeah. And I don't think that's right. true. I don't, I honestly, I don't think we have the time. I certainly don't. It's so Absolutely. elaborate. If you're trying to come up with all of these facets and ways to mess with people <laughs> and, true. you know, like hoaxes take a lot of effort and I just, I for one don't have it. I don't have it. I know. Anything. I think about that when you see like the um, crop circles and stuff, which who knows, right? But oh, when you hear totally. about people who do that and who have, cl- who like legit claim, like, yes, I do crop circles as a hoax. How the hell do you have the time to do something that elaborate in the middle of the night? I don't get it. Same. It's Share very some confusing. of your energy because we all need it. <laughs> Right? We don't need crop circle. Just go plant crops. If you have that kind of energy, go plant okay. shit in the middle of the night. Don't go cut it down. Be productive. We need more pollinators. <laughs> Stop wasting your time trying to mess with people. This world is weird <laughs> enough. Uh, that's kind of what makes humans so interesting, though, is just the way we spend our time in this short little lifetime that we have. Right? This story really got me thinking about that, too just in general of like, I mean, I guess, yeah, if I was homesteading, like what is on my to-do list for Mm -hmm. the day compared to what I'm doing now? Like it was harder work, certainly from just a physical standpoint, but was I doing less? Did I like, what kind of free time did you have? (laughs) It's an interesting concept. And, And yeah, when we think about all of the hours, like I hate looking at the analytics on my phone and realizing how much time I spend on freaking TikTok or whatever. I don't think phone analytics are fair because I have to use Instagram for work True. too. So my work Instagram hours should not count as my screen. I know freaking Apple and whatever, figure that out. How do we differentiate our true hours so that we know the impact that we're having on our lives? Right. Can I tell you when it's leisurely and when I'm, when I'm getting paid for it? But to be fair, I know I would lie about it and be like, no, I'm still working. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I just checked the company Instagram page. (laughs) Well, where does that leave us? Do you have any parting, parting thoughts? Any well wishes for the bell witch if she's listening? Um, Bell witch, you know, I get your frustration I hear you. You remind me not to be an asshole to other people and to definitely not cross people because you just don't know what people are capable of. So (laughs) thank you for that reminder. And please don't haunt me tonight because respect. (laughs) Yes. I'd like my covers to stay on. Um, I actually, that brings me, sorry, just one more uh, thing that I was reading that I actually did think was really, it was in Ingram's book actually. Um, about the bell witch and they what I liked about her and and similarly with her you know showing Lucy all of this love and kind energy is she kept people in town in check because nobody wanted to face her mm-hmm. vengeance like she was she would quote scripture you know she was said to have sung bible verses and hymns and scripture and you know she cared about how people were 
were living their lives. And I think she like scared an entire town of people into pretty decent, okay-ish behavior for about five years, which is She's like the most terrifying Bible school teacher you've ever experienced. Seriously, they were like, you need to actually not be bad because she's going to get you. She was like, she was like female Krampus. Yes, she would. They would be buddies. She'd be like, okay, dude, I got your list. Here are all the <laughs> totally, She would be in cahoots with Krampus for sure. Okay. Well, that's the next Bell Witch movie. Oh my gosh. I would pay big bucks. To see The Bell Witch's Christmas Krampus <laughs> adventure. Okay. We're going to stop podcasting and we're going to write made for TV movie or yeah, straight to DVD movie. Netflix. Here's out. <laughs> we got a pitch for you. Uh, have I got a show? Honestly, you? Netflix usually produces some weird shit. So I bet they'd be like, you know, that's actually a fantastic idea. Let's talk more. And we'll be like, yes, Netflix, we got you. The worst thing they could do is say, no, we should probably pitch. Yeah, it. we could be millionaires. So everybody that's listening to this right now needs to sign an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> do not steal our Krampus Bell Witch biopic. I will be mad. <laughs> And honestly, the Bell Witch will probably come haunt you. Like, yeah, she's she's got her. our back. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'm trying to think of what our Perwitchin slip should be today. I think maybe our Perwitchin slip is actually to think twice and to consider all of your facts and all of your perspectives, and to just try really hard not to be an asshole. Yeah. Cheers to that. cheers to that thank you for joining us on this episode of Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks if you're having a witching good time we hope you'll help us to grow this little coven you all know it's us against AI in this algorithm eat algorithm world so please help us out please like, rate, and subscribe anywhere you're listening to us Also, we want to connect with our spooky, Marg-loving friends out there, so please like and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Links for those profiles will be in the show notes. And hey, be sure to tell us what you're drinking tonight. We love you all so much, witches. Cheers.